legend lives on from the Chippewa on down at the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26... You know, after five weeks of that, don't you just all want to sing it together, you know? Just a little Gordon Lightfoot there. Well, today wraps up, as Pastor Joe was saying, our series on lost ships and missed harbors. And today we're just going to kind of wrap it up kind of a, a little different, but uh, we're going to wrap it up. And as Pastor Joe said, start a new series, Christmas Carols, next Sunday morning. And it'll take us through the, the rest of the year. I don't know if this is true of you. And, and a lot of you look like you're in the turkey coma, you know, so I get that. But have you, have you ever just been in a fog? You know what I mean? I mean, I mean I'm not talking about a, a drug-induced fog or anything like that. I'm just... I'm just talking about you just, your judgment was clouded, your thinking wasn't clear, and you just really didn't know which way to go. I mean, you thought you knew the direction you were going, and then something changed the landscape in your world, and all of a sudden the light that you were pursuing gets clouded just by fog or, or the storm. We've all been there, haven't we? We tried to do our best, wanted to do our best, wanted to kind of stay on course and do what's right. The Apostle Paul would put it this way, the good that I want to do, he says, because I'm a sinful man, I don't end up doing. And the things that I have no intention of doing because I'm a sinful man, I end up doing. Paul is Paul's way of saying sometimes it gets foggy in your own spiritual walk and in your own spiritual life and in your own spiritual decision making. Because I was doing a lot of studying and prepping for this series, because believe me, I knew little to nothing about the Great Lakes, and I knew absolutely nothing about ships uh, on the Great Lakes. I found out that the second smallest lake is Lake Erie. It is the shallowest lake, therefore it freezes the quickest out of all of the lakes. In fact, it is not uncommon... For people to drive their cars, their SUVs, and just drive right across Lake Erie. Now, if you want to do that, call Joe Wilson, okay? Man, that is just doesn't sound like, you know, it'd be like the Ice Age cartoon, you know, or movie, right? Where they have the crack in the ice and it just, tra- you know, just chases you wherever you go on the ice. That would be me on the ice of... Lake it because it's shallow. The the waves, and because the weather comes from the, the west typically and flows east, the waves start off kind of mild in this area. They never get as big as what they do on Lake Superior or Lake Michigan, but but they will be rough. In fact, some think that they're even though they're not the highest waves, they can get a good height, but it is the roughest waves because of the shallowness and the undertow. I don't know about all of that. I do know from what I've read that it is one of the foggiest and if not the foggiest of all of the Great Lakes. In fact, this fog would uh, provide an opportunity for some, some uh, very unique type of people. As I was studying all the shipwrecks and they would come up and they would list where they sunk at. 
One place came up over and over and over again. Long Point, Ontario. It's on the Canadian side of the western edge of Lake Erie. Long Point, Ontario. I've never been there. Would kind of like to go there now after I've kind of did a little thing. It's just a small town. It's, it's really nothing fancy. It's kind of like a summer village and folks will go there to summer in the, in the summer and just kind of head out of town because I guess it gets really cold on that lake in the wintertime. But around the turn of the century, what had happened was as the fog would roll in or it would just be very foggy, the storms would play havoc with the sand that the channel was cut through. And so they would, they would dredge or cut the channel through and the lighthouses would light them through, it would light their way and they follow the lighthouse and they would go through the channel. And so everyone knew that to navigate through that area, you had to kind of follow the right light because the sands would kind of shift on the lake bottom making it difficult to know where the channel was for your ship to go through. Now, we've not only all been in the fog, but we've also had these life-shifting situations in our homes, haven't we? We've had some in this past year. My mother-in-law moved in with us and is under hospice care, and that was a major life-shifter for our home and our family. My father, as many of you know, has, has uh, Alzheimer's disease and and it just, you know, you see a little bit more every trip now, and I try to get down more frequently, but even with the frequency of the trips, it's just like every trip, it, it takes a little bit more of him and a little bit more of him. My dad is absolutely the best Christian man I've ever met in my life, bar none. And I've met a lot of Christian people out there, and he's just as fine a man as you'd want to meet anywhere. And, uh, and so to see my dad really act out of character for him and out of his nature and his walk with Christ, man, it was just, it just made a tough, tough end to the Thanksgiving weekend. Sometimes life shifts. And what you thought you knew isn't, doesn't hold the same course. Well, in this place called Lake Point, Ontario, when the storms would come in and the waves would be high, it would shift the sands and and it would change the channel. And what some entrepreneurs would do is they would erect in the foggy, stormy nights or just foggy nights, they would erect these fake lighthouses. And so what would happen is these ships would run ashore. They estimate over 300 ships ran aground at Long Point, Ontario. And what they would do is in the fog and sometimes in the storm, these ships would just think, oh my word, we're sinking. We don't know what we hit. Abandoned ship, abandoned ship. And then the locals would, once the ship was abandoned, they would go on board and loot and pillage. They were lake pirates. Instead of Pirate of the Caribbean, we should make the movie Pirates of Lake Erie. <laughs> Almost sounds like a veggie tale kind of thing, doesn't it, you know? So they would put up this fake lighthouse. And these people were known as blackbirders. 
I want you to know Satan is the ultimate blackbirder. When the fog rolls in and the storms come and life has kind of changed the, the life situation of your home. And there's kind of a new channel that you got to find. Satan is the ultimate blackbirder because he moves in in those moments of confusion. In those moments of, of, of trying to find the right way. And he sets up this fake lighthouse. Matter of fact, in heaven he did that. He was the highest of all the angelic beings that God created in heaven. And there was this big fuss in heaven. And he wanted God's throne. And, of course, you, I mean, God is God. You can't give up, you know. So, so Satan led a third of the angels to follow him. He set up. He was a black birder. He set up a false light. And he's been setting up false lights ever since. The Bible describes Satan as a liar and the father of it. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible describes Satan as a thief, John 10.10. And you can turn to John chapter 8. That's where we'll be in just a moment. But in John 10.10, he says, the thief cometh, and that's Satan. And by the way, Satan is not some Star Wars kind of empirical force, you know, from the dark side. He's a very real entity wrapped up in this person, whether you call him Lucifer, Satan, the devil. It all refers to the same person. And it's the same person that wants to destroy you, wants to lie to you, wants to deceive you, wants to steal from you. John 10.10, the Bible says, the thief, that's the devil, comes only but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Boy, that's an ultimate definition of a black birder, isn't it? He doesn't care how he wrecks your life. He does it. Sensuality, sexuality, he doesn't care. Drugs or other addiction, he doesn't care. Relationships, broken homes, broken lives, he doesn't care. Shifting sands of life, fog, storms, he doesn't care. He's the thief and his purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now for those of you who think hell is just going to be one big party and you and your buddies are going to have a Bud or a a Heineken, I've got news for you. It ain't going to be that way. That's a false light that this thief, this deceiver, this liar has thrown out there. Matter of fact, the thief, John 10.10, comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Anytime in the Gospel of John, he talks about Satan. He talks about several other words that are associated with Satan... And it's the word darkness or the word death. Or you could read the word death and it's associated with darkness and Satan. Or you could read the word darkness and it's associated with Satan and death. That triangle of of verbiage goes together. What is interesting is that everybody knew it. And they still refused the true light that came into the world. Since you're in John, just back up to chapter 1 and look at verse 4. 
John chapter 1 and verse 4, look at what it says. It says, in him, Christ, logos, technically, from verses 1, 2, and 3, but in him, Christ, was life. And that life was the light of men. If Satan is talked in terms of darkness and death, Jesus Christ is talked in terms of light and life. Look at verse 5. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness understood it not. The true light, verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Look at verse 10. And he was in the world, and though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. Flip over to John chapter 3. It seems that humanity has had this love affair with darkness. Love affair with sin. It's coming off the heels of Jesus' teaching with Nicodemus. And he says this in verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus Christ has come. But men love darkness. Now, by the way, I can't think of anything a bit more disconcerting than being on a lake in high waves in a storm with it foggy. Can you? And then you hit something. Dude, give me the light. My mom wanted Christmas ornaments or Christmas decorations down from her basement. So I went up to my mom and dad's attic. Now, I don't know if you've ever been up to your mom's and dad's attic. As a kid, it was fun. As an adult, it was spooky. I had this little flashlight and the battery was going dim. You know, you've been up in the attic and, and you don't, you know, and you keep banging the side of that thing, you know, shining, shining. You hear something, and so it, since it's not your attic, you're not sure what it is, and then you bump into something, and you're sure that whatever it is you just bumped into was big enough to chew your leg off, you know? You keep banging that light. Man, I don't like the darkness. Turn every nightlight on in the house. I'm good. I'm happy. He said, here's the verdict. True light has come into the world, but men still love the darkness. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light, and he will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that they may be clearly and plainly seen that what, has, what he has done has also been done through God. And then in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus just in direct opposition to Satan who's a deceiver and a liar and a destroyer. Satan who is associated with death and darkness. Jesus who's associated with light and life finally says this in verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. By the way, please don't think that Jesus Christ just up one day and decided, hey guys, hello, hello, let me have your attention. I am the light of the world. It didn't happen that way. Whenever Jesus taught anything, it was in a context. In John, especially the first 12 chapters, the context is always easy to see. His teaching either comes before or after a conversation, before or after a Jewish feast, before or after a miracle that he performed. 
And so if you want to understand John, you look for the conversation, you look for the miracle, or you look for the feast days, especially in the first 12 chapters. And the teaching is going to be wrapped around that, and the teaching is tied to it, the conversation. Jesus is the woman at the well, and she says, are you thirsty? And he says, if you know the well, you know that whom you have asked, you drink, you never be thirsty again. What he was revealing about himself was tied to that conversation. Here in John 8, what he's talking about is tied back to John chapter 7, the tabernacle or the feast of the tabernacles. The feast of the tabernacles was the most important Jewish feast week of the entire year. It was one of those feast weeks where everybody went to Jerusalem, if you were a Jew, to celebrate it, and it was a party. I'm not talking about with the drugs and the alcohol. I'm just telling you, people had a awesome time when they got together. Matter of fact, I found some Jewish authors who kind of wrote about this and kind of put it together so you can kind of get a feel for what would happen at the feast of of the tabernacles. And this is in the Mishnah Sukkah 5, 1 through 4. He says, he who has not seen the joy of the place of water drawing has never in his life seen joy. He's saying, man, this feast of the tabernacle, man, it is a joyous occasion. This extravagant claim stands just before the description of the lighting of four huge lamps in the temple's court of the women and of the exuberant celebration that took place under its light. Men of piety and good works danced through the night, holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. The Levitical orchestra cuts loose, and some sources attest that this went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles with the light from the temple area shedding its glow over all of Jerusalem. And it is in that context, as people were singing and holding up their torches, as people were lighting their candles and singing their praises to God, it was in that context that Jesus said, I In the light of the world. He's saying the light that you have sung about is now here. What you've longed for is standing in your presence. What you've wished for is here. And he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, Jesus' light and life. It's always connected. Satan, the ultimate blackbirder, wants to give you a false light, so he destroys you, so he destroys your home, so that it leads to death and ruination. But Jesus Christ came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10.10. He wants you to have it more abundantly. The word abundance is a great word. I can probably describe it best to you by Thanksgiving dinner. I dieted this whole month for one meal. For one meal. And so as I am putting on turkey, I thought, there's room on my plate. I can put more turkey. And then I would put on mashed potatoes, and I would think, there's more room on my plate. I can heap on more spuds. 
Broccoli casserole, oh my goodness, I got room on my plate, I can heap on more. Cranberry salad, you betcha, man, I just keep green beans, oh baby, I just keep, I'm hungry. I just keep heaping it up till it just about overflowed. That's the idea of abundance. God, Jesus, the light and the life of this world just keeps heaping it, just keeps putting it, just keeps putting it out there for you because his way, his course, his chart, if you will, leads to life. You see, what happens is the light, which is the revelation of how to be saved, leads to life, which is the eternal quality of life, which not only begins here in this life, but deals with the eternal aspect in the life to come, light and life in Christ. It all goes together. Satan, the ultimate blackbird, however, wants you to live in the darkness. Wants you to get disoriented in the fog. He, he, he wants you to lose sight of the true light and get focused on the wrong light. Jesus Christ, the ultimate truth, comes so that he could light the way and then change your life. That's the great news of the gospel, is that he doesn't leave us like we were, but he changes us by his truth. See, one light is the ultimate display of truth. Jesus is light, truth. Jesus is life, truth. Satan is liar, anything he throws out there, man, is deception, it's bogus, it's fraud, and it will destroy You follow his path long enough. And the outcome isn't good. You follow Christ. He says this light has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. See, Jesus wanted you to make have. Make no mistake about it, in this world, as he would tell the listeners there as he stood and taught that he is the light of the world. He wanted, no, he didn't, wanted, he didn't want anyone, I don't know how to say this in my mind to get at, he just wanted everybody to know that he is who he says he is. And I say it all the time, that he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. He's the light of heaven. And he's the giver of eternal life. If you want to really know how to live, then you follow his light. If you want to arrive at safe harbor and not be run up on the ground somewhere in the shallows because you missed the channel, because you missed safe harbor and safe passage, then you follow the devil's false light. But if you want safety, if you want light, if you want life, then you have to follow Jesus Christ. See, if you want to get to safe harbor, you've got to make a decision. If you and I were out on uh, Lake Erie and a boat we were on you know, just for whatever reason, through you or through me overboard, and we'd make this big loop back, and I throw you a life preserver, or you throw me, hopefully you'd love me enough, throw me a life preserver. You throw me a life preserver, what do I got to do to live? 
Do I got to scream back at you? Hey, I don't want the orange one. How about that yellow one? I don't like the green rope. My favorite color's blue. Actually, it's scarlet and gray, but that's a different thing altogether. If I want to live, I have to grab onto the life preserver. Have you ever seen them at night? You ever seen these, these, these storms when boats are at sea and they're trying to find somebody? They have these big old bright spotlights. And when they throw the light preserver, they try, to, they try to make the light, follow the light preserver so that the person knows where to swim. And if you want to get to safety, you follow the light and you grab onto the light preserver. Listen, if you want to live forever, if you want to go to heaven when you die, you follow the light. Jesus is the light that leads to life everlasting. Hey, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Maybe you're here this morning and it's a little foggy on your lake. Maybe you're here this morning and it's, uh, the, the sand has shifted in the landscape of your life and in the landscape of your home. And somewhere you've chosen to veer off course. And maybe you, you feel like you're stuck in the shallow ground. <coughs> or on the dangerous rocks. Listen, I'm telling you this morning. Reorient yourself to follow the light. And to give yourself fully to the chart, to the course that Jesus Christ has set before you. So would you be honest with me? Would you say, Mike, I, Pastor Mike, I, it's, been, it's, it's just foggy. I don't have clarity. There's just some things that have shifted the landscape of my life or of our home. And the storm's blowing a bit. It's just foggy. But my prayer is I want to stay true and I want to live and I want to follow Jesus Christ, the light of this world. And if you would just like for me to pray with you and then you pray in your seat these next few moments, man, with nobody looking around, not anybody in the front, the back, just me. I'm not trying to trick a person, I promise. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you just, man, God bless you. God bless you and you and several, several more. And anybody else, you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Man, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, my prayer is that you follow him and set your course and set your sail to Jesus Christ, the light of this world. And if you follow his light, man, it will lead to heaven and life everlasting. And it will lead to life not only in this world, but in the one to come.